I'm Christina, and um, this presentation was prepared um, for you all. I'd like to thank Elizabeth and Stanley and Caroline for inviting me here today, and I'll give a little introduction. I came to Oxford actually with um, both a bachelor's and a master's in anthropology already, a four-field bachelor's like Hannah, and a master's with a specialization in social anthropology, and I wanted to learn more about medical anthropology and became interested in that. Um, my MSc dissertation here was entitled Substance and Strength, Rethinking Humoral Medical Conceptions Among Indigenous Guatemalans. And what I was really interested in is sort of, um, there was a debate in the early 90s um, how Maya people, uh, Maya communities conceptualized um, different bodily fluids and also different elements of the environment and di different nutritional elements. And there was sort of this tension between the um, folks that had a, felt that there was a cognitive schema that were able to be discovered and folks that felt that it, they should, we should discover this in a more phenomenological and individualized way. And I kind of uh, began to offer a third alternative, sort of an environmental or ecological way of, of viewing um, how we classify and think about elements of the environment, elements um, of nutrition or food, and also um, related to the body. So while I was here, around the same time as um, I was doing the MSc dissertation, I um, received some funding along with Marisa McClary and Paul Cadets, who are in the room, I think. Um, and um, we actually went to Guatemala and worked in several Maya populations, Ketchikan and Sutihil Maya populations, um, on an Oxford um, expedition um, and RGS-funded field study. And we looked at perceptions and practices related to food and malnutrition. And we kind of discovered um, that there was a lot of environmental um, barriers related to um, people's acquisition of food and whatnot. Maybe I should make this larger. This, no? This one? Okay, sorry about that. All right, and um, I'd like to, I didn't do a slide, but I kind of like to insert here, I do have my real world moment in between Oxford and the next phase of which the, the, uh, the presentation is mostly about. And that was um, when I went back to Florida, where I was originally living at the time, I was asked by a local NGO, a Guatemala Maya organization that worked with a large Guatemala Maya population in South Florida to design um, an intervention, an education intervention addressing obesity and um, diabetes. Um, an influx of obesity and diabetes. And I said to them, well, perhaps I shouldn't just design an education program, perhaps I should talk to some of the folks that are there. Uh, again, sort of inserting my anthropological training in there. And what I found out through my research there was that um, people didn't need an education program, people knew what they should be eating and what they shouldn't be eating. Um, they just didn't have access. They didn't have um, a certain, they were out of their environment, didn't have access to fruits and vegetables and whatnot, so I'd, um, I started, a, I guess, a grant program in motion to allow them access to keyhole gardens or individual gardens where they could grow herbs and fresh fruits and vegetables. And I'm happy to announce that just a couple weeks before I left for the field in Belize, um, we received $10,000 for the local Guatemala Maya population to be able to access fresh fruits and vegetables in their own homes and build keyhole gardens. So that's my real world interjecting anthropology into the real world. They didn't get an education program, but they got some sort of um, an, an overcoming of environmental barriers to positive health choices. All right. So after that, and or sort of concurrently with that, I was lucky enough to um, become part of a project or be asked to become part of a project funded by the National Science Foundation Human Social Dynamics Program. Um, 
And thanks to uh, Kate, thank you Kate, shout out over there, she forwarded me the information for that. Um, and they have funded my, my uh, doctoral research um, in Belize. I work um, about an hour from the Guatemala border in Belize. Um, and the, the collaborative research is very interesting and I think my training here at Oxford has really prepared me to work with all different sorts of scientists. So we have archaeologists, we have soil scientists, paleoclimatologists, um, cultural ecologists, and um, a few ethnographers. I'm the only medical um, anthropologist, if I can call myself that at this point, maybe here in this company, I can call myself that. So um, we all work together and we're kind of tracing um, the land use um, in this part of Belize from the ancient Maya um, through to the present day Maya. So I work with the community um, and with the contemporary Maya. And I am, um, my doctoral research is mostly focused on this idea of embodied ecological heritage and how um, ecology and health inter intersect. And I'll talk um, primarily about that. Um, as part of the collaborative research I should just mention, I'm mostly involved in creating an education program. All of the research that happens in the community feeds back into the community via the school. So I write um, environmental and cultural heritage um, education program, um, which is sort of a neat sort of a side of what I do there. And I have a book chapter coming out about that if you're interested. Um, but that's not directly related to my doctoral research. So all of um, so basically the doctoral research is I'm sort of looking at intersections. So um, I'm looking at the intersection of eco, uh, environmental knowledge and land practice and health and wellness perception. So I'm defining health and wellness kind of um, very broadly in terms of practices, in terms of perceptions. Um, we also, as part of the big project, do a very um, behavioral focused analysis. We do a time allocation study. So I have sort of very kind of hard data related to people's practices, uh, people's practices and also I, um, I'm a very sort of uh, staunch believer in traditional ethnography. So I make a lot of tortillas and whatnot and, um, <laughs> and hear a lot of information about um, corn, which I'm very much interested in. A few of people from my cohort are here, and they, that's an ongoing interest of mine. Okay. So in, in terms of looking at these intersections, these are some of the things I'm thinking about. And right at the beginning, um, you see um, the book that Stanley held up at the beginning in the introduction, um, Elizabeth's chapter in that book, where she first mentions... Thank you, Stan. <laughs> it's, it's great. My current university, the University of South Florida, when I walked into my current supervisor's office, that book was on her shelf. Like I walked straight in and saw it. The first book I saw, and I'm like, okay, this is I'm in the right place to continue my uh, education. So anyway, Elizabeth's concept of the body ecologic. I don't know if anybody's familiar. You should be familiar with that. But if you're not, um, it's the, like sort of a... A continuation of the Shepherd Hughes and Locke three bodies, the individual, social, and body um, politics. So I'm thinking about um, how to conceptualize that or how that might play out in a contemporary society. Um, also, at, um, I'm looking at the intersection of, of habitus, habitus, and embodiment, um, terms that I think everybody here will be familiar <laughs> with, um, how that actually how that actually occurs on the ground. And um, I'm very interested in, in Ingold, the idea that first brought up with Ingold, a few people have talked about it, about feedback loops, how environmental knowledge is actually taught and then kind of feeds back and, and changes, um, I guess, the body and, and what we do. And then um, some sort of a new interest that kind of feeds into this research is problematizing traditional ecological knowledge. Um, sort of similar how, to how humoral classifications were problematized 
Um, in terms of uh, ecological knowledge is very similar, where people have like, structural structuralists, I suppose, have gone and they've they've wanted to catalog traditional ecological knowledge and write it all down, and then we have it, which is very noble. You want to have the body of this this very important knowledge. Um, but I kind of problematize the, the fact that it's static and that you can kind of go and collect all this information. For me, it's more of a, a feedback move, more of a process. So I'm kind of thinking about problematizing that idea. I'm not the first person who's done that, but people have done it in different ways. And um, that's something I'm thinking about. And then I've written here, cognitive phenomenology is not an oxymoron. So I'm thinking about like people's, um, people's experiences actually change the way they think and they actually change their body. Right, so um, that would normally be um, something that you know cognitivists want are into phenomenology. But I'm melding these ideas in true Who holistic. That? Who does that? That's me. Oh, you? Yeah. <laughs> I said that. <laughs> I said it here. You heard it here first. No. Um, I also said this: embodied ecological heritage. This is sort of, um, I guess, how I'm conceptualizing what's going on in beliefs. <laughs> So Belize is a very interesting case. I was just talking with Rachel about this. Um, unlike Guatemala, the, the Maya populations in Belize have currently, very recently, actually in the first, I guess, um, the Indigenous Peoples Act of 2007, the first sort of implication of it, or the first enactment of it, they actually um, received the rights to use their land in a traditional way, which means there's no private land ownership in certain pockets of Belize. And my people, they're slash and burn agriculturalists, this is subsistence farmers, and they can use their land and they monitor it and manage it by themselves in the traditional way, and that's been protected by the government. And this is sort of a very recent development. And if you know anything about Guatemala, um, it's a very, very different situation there. Um, Guatemala Mayans are disenfranchised with their land, and a lot of the health issues that come out of Guatemala are because they're, um, they're unable to use the land. Okay? And that actually continues to lake work, like I said at the beginning of the talk. So um, it's, it's interesting to me in this idea of heritage that um, the Belizean Maya, as part of their campaign to get their land, their Mayaness has become sort of more salient, right? So they have to, showing that the land is part of their heritage, that they've used the land in this way for many, many years, is integral to um, their argument that they should be allowed to use the land like this. Um, and that's part of our education plan too. We're, we're providing this sort of environmental and cultural heritage lessons in the schools, and it's sort of making this knowledge or this, this practice more important in the community. And how I proposed to sort of conceptualize this embodied ecological heritage, um, a lot of times ecological knowledge is considered intangible knowledge, which seems kind of strange to me, but that's the way it happens, because, I mean, you can hold a plant in your hand. I don't know why that's intangible, but it's sort of like ideas, right? So I think that one nice way to make it tangible is through the body. So if we can make the connection between how the land is being used and the body being well, then the body's pretty tangible, too in addition to the plants. So I hope to make that a little, I'm going to, I'm giving a paper at an intangible heritage conference in Portugal next week, and I'm hoping to add the ecological body in there too and see what they think about that, the heritage people. So what I'd like to do um, is just give a couple of ethnographic vignettes um, that kind of have illustrated some of the ideas that are coming up so far, and this is a work in progress. I just came from the field, and I'm just going back to the field, and I'll be there until December. So. This isn't sort of a polished sort of set of ideas, but um, I wanted to talk about this gentleman, Alberto. Um, he had had a dramatic weight loss, 
from last summer and then from this year when I arrived in the field. And so I talked to him, sort of took an illness narrative, I guess, if you will. Um, and he talked about his sweet blood. He hadn't been to the doctor, but he figured that's what he had. He'd heard about it in the village. And he... Um, you have 15 minutes, right? 15? Oh, what time is it? I haven't been looking. Oh, no. Okay, I'm going to do this fast. Everybody has 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, did I start at 4? No, no, 5 past. 5 past. Okay, good. All right, no problem. No problem. <laughs> All right. Um, and I, like, I was interested in the way he talked, and this is a lot of people do this, that they talk about their body actually rejecting something. So he was talking about he used to raise white chickens, which are hybrid chickens that are raised with chemicals and not with corn, which is how the local chickens are raised. And he said because those chickens hadn't been fed corn and he'd eaten too many of the chickens, one day he just came and he saw one of those chickens and it was cooked and he didn't want it. And he said, my body rejected it. And then he talks about Indian bodies and Indian people and how um, the bodies are very specific and how they reject something if it's not grown with corn or if it doesn't, um, if it hasn't been grown through hard work or through um, the sowing of corn eventually. So um, he talked about young people going to the shop and how they didn't want to grow the corn, they were lazy. So this idea of work is really, really tied up in the idea of a healthy body and an Indian body and what that should mean. So um, the use of Yamor Yamor is a plant that's used for bellyache and he was using it for for his sweet blood, um, it's sort of like a generic sort of plant that he was using. And also he was just treating himself through a corn drink um, and avoiding the use of, of other things. This isn't Yamora, by the way. So if you see this in Belize, don't eat it or drink it. That's a plant that's used for um, killing fish. But I didn't have a picture of Yamora. So anyway. All right, and very quickly, um, I just, came from Belize and in May is when the major corn planting happens. And so I had this thought about um, sensory experience as I was you know, at 1.30 in the morning when I'm making tamales and falling asleep and everybody's screaming and there's incense burning that perhaps um, the sensory experience of this corn ritual specifically or the whole ritual surrounding um, corn planting is actually changes people's bodies. And it's very important that they feel a certain way when they're planting corn for the corn crops to be successful. So if you see here in the photo, um, this is a corn seed right here, and this is incense right next to it burning, and these gentlemen are gonna be planting the corn in the morning um, for, it's a reciprocal collaborative work effort, so that means one man's gonna plant, everybody's gonna help them, and they're playing a game with corn kernels where they move these a certain amount. So, so something I just started thinking about as I was experiencing it. All right, and I just want to give a quick example of feedback loop. I know I don't, I don't have a lot of time, but this is how uh, work is related to the environment, is related to your health. I'll let you just check that out very quickly. I haven't talked about drinking alcohol in this talk, but um, basically being unable to or being sick and being unable to plant corn, it's more than just not being able to have a livelihood. It's sort of not being able to be a proper Maya person. So... All right, and then just to conclude, the, um, I'm working towards something that I'm calling for now the pragmatic ecological model of health. And I'm emphasizing that there's um, a fluidity in ecological and wellness classification. That means there's not something, some strict um, cognitive classification, but that there's a movement that people interact with the environment and they change their responses as a result to changing environment and that there's something important in that. 
Okay, um, there's something that we need to understand if we're going to understand how this community in the face of all the changes that are happening is going to remain well or be well. Because we do see an influx of an increase of diabetes and there's going to be a road that's going to be built. So there's a lot of changes that are going on. So thank you very much.